0: Today on Categorical Imperatives, we are going to be doing a Supreme Court roundup. Uh, We have a lot of news about the Second Amendment, and we are going to be talking about it all the good, the bad, and the ugly.
1: Hey, greetings, and welcome back once again to
0: Categorical Imperatives. As always, I am your host, Lockheed and Liberal, and I do want to thank you all so much for being here with me today. Uh, Especially if you are new to the program, I want to welcome you. This is a podcast where we are going to be discussing legal theory and moral philosophy as it relates to current events surrounding law, politics, and culture. Now, no one likes to admit when they are wrong, uh, though in this case, I am going to make an exception. Now, in a recent uh, article and video I did called What the Heller, uh, the video was released here on YouTube on my channel. Uh, the article was released uh, over at the Libertarian Institute. I'll link to both of those down in the description. Uh, I lamented, lamented <laughs> that uh, by heavily compromising the originalist analysis of the Second Amendment in the case of District of Columbia versus Heller, that we may have doomed the Second Amendment to the trash heap of history at a time when many people were celebrating that this would be the parchment barrier that protected the Second Amendment, which rather ironically had failed because it was taken as a self-executing parchment barrier, the court's refusal to grant cert on the lower court challenge uh, to cha- two challenges like the recent Ninth Circuit case of Young versus Hawaii that declared that because there was no evidence uh, in the amendment that protects our right to bear arms it actually protects our right to bear arms things looked bleak and before we move on i just want to really quickly remind you guys that if you want to support the show if you like what i do here if you appreciate uh the stuff i put out and you want to help me spread uh this message uh that you can support the show in a number of ways paypal Venmo, patreon uh patreon is great because you get a lot of extra little goodies with it uh so if you want to uh, head on over there. Uh, yeah. Anyways, enough pouring myself out. Let's just get back to the topic here. Essentially, um, after a decade of the lower courts intentionally misreading Heller to deliberately degrade the very right that Heller preserved, uh, after 10 years of perfect silence from the Supreme Court on this issue, uh, really apart from two dissenting opinions filed by Justice Thomas, lamenting the court's consistent denial of cert on every Second Amendment case, During that 10-year span, uh, and an especially choice uh, part of one of those, uh, it features a just livid Justice Thomas giving a scathing and accurate criticism of the court when he said, The Supreme Court is treating the Second Amendment as a second-class right. The the, The court routinely grants review in every case involving free speech, abortion, Fourth Amendment, search and seizure, you name it, they are adjudicating on it. Any and every possible provision of the Constitution you please, they will take a case. But they have
1: treated the Second Amendment like a leper. They don't even want to touch it. Now, this all culminated with a growing number of
0: constitutional scholars asking the same question that I speculated on in the previous article, and that is, is the Second Amendment a dead letter? Now, this is one instance where I am pleased to report that. I may well have been wrong. Some recent developments have offered a chance for an optimistic view of the future of the Second Amendment, but much like the Heller opinion, that optimism comes with a very large caveat that should not be overlooked. So let's break down several new developments involving the Supreme Court and the future of the Second Amendment. We're going to be talking about the good, the bad, and one ugly truth that
1: can't afford to be overlooked. First, the good. The fact is, Monday was a very good day for the Constitution. The Supreme Court issued
0: this opinion in a case known as Caniglia v. Strom, in which the Supreme Court struck down a warrantless gun seizure. Really, the only thing that could have been better would have been to live in a country where we don't need the Supreme Court to tell the police that stealing firearms from a person without a warrant is unconstitutional. But this case began with an incident in Rhode Island with a police stealing a man's guns from his home without a warrant after taking him in for a mental health evaluation. Now, the court struck down this warrantless gun confiscation with a unanimous 9-0 ruling. Specifically, they ruled that what is known as the community caretaker exception to the Fourth Amendment does not extend to the home. Now, police generally cannot conduct searches of private property without consent or a warrant. Uh, In the case of uh, Katie V. V. Dombrowski, the Supreme Court held in 1973 that police may conduct warrantless searches related to what is known as this community caretaking function, but it was limited only to vehicle accidents. Since then, the principle has become a catch-all for a wide range of responsibilities. The police officer's uh, say they must discharge, aside from their criminal enforcement activities, uh, or so the First Circuit Court of Appeals stated in their uh, Caniglia case. Now, the community caretaking doctrine holds that police don't always operate as law enforcement officials investigating wrongdoing, but sometimes as caretakers to prevent harm in emergency situations. This brings us to a gentleman named Edward Caniglia, who had no criminal history and absolutely no record of violence, Now, he had been married to his wife for 22 years when on August 20th, 2015, they had a disagreement inside of their Cranston, Rhode Island home. The argument escalated, uh, and he produced an unloaded gun, set it down on the table, and said to his wife, why don't you just shoot me and get me out of my misery? At this point, his wife chose to remove herself from the situation And the next day, when she tried to get in touch with her husband by phone, she couldn't reach him. Worried for his safety, uh, she called police and asked them to escort her over there to conduct a welfare check. Now, when they got there, Edward calmly explained the the theatrics of the previous day. According to the officers on scene, he seemed perfectly normal and sane and healthy. And still, the officer in charge decided that Edward posed a danger to himself and others. He insisted Edward be taken by ambulance to a local hospital for a mental health screening. Edward agreed to go only when he was threatened with arrest and booking if he wouldn't go to the hospital, and if the police assured him that once he left that they had no intention of taking his guns. As should surprise no one, the police lied. As soon as he left, they found and seized his guns. Now, his wife never asked him to remove the guns, and when she saw that that is what they were doing, and she questioned him about why they were being taken, the officers lied to her as well, and told her that before he left, Edward had consented to their confiscation. Once more, after illegally seizing the guns, the police never told Edward that they had taken them from the home. When he finally figured this out, and he went to go get them back, the police Arbitrarily refused to return the weapons. And with this, Caniglia sued, arguing that the community caretaking exception does not apply to the home, uh, the most protected of all private spaces. And for those of you who may remember one of my earliest videos I did about uh, the natural right to privacy and sort of its uh, evolution through uh, the common law right and then eventually the Fourth Amendment search and seizure right, you will remember that really the heart of Where this case started was in the home. This is where the idea that uh, every man's home is his castle comes from. It comes from uh, the natural right of privacy protected by the common law. That is a phrase that comes from a very famous common law case about uh, this topic uh, from the uh, famous jurist Edward Cook. So, yeah, if the Fourth Amendment protects anything, uh, I, I mean, going back to a right to privacy and a common law right, uh, it is inside the home first and foremost. Although, of course, the Fourth Amendment is broader in its statement. It talks about your uh, person's houses, papers, and effects.
1: But historically speaking, that is where it starts. Anyways, the district court ruled
0: against the petitioner and on appeal, the First Circuit enjoined that decision and affirmed the legality of the seizure solely on the grounds that the decision to remove both the petitioner and his firearms from the premises fell within the community caretaking exception. Now, if you are anything like me, you may need to hear that last sentence repeated again to grasp its most troubling assertion. The court found that removing the petitioner fell within the community caretaking exception. Now, if a theft of an individual's firearms is an especially egregious example of overstepping Fourth Amendment search and seizure protections because firearms have a Second Amendment protection as especially important property because of their role in protecting an individual's natural rights of self-defense, is it not more egregious that the same courts are suggesting the community caretaking standard also extends into the home to kidnap the individual in question without an arrest warrant
1: or probable cause that the person has or was in the process of committing a crime. We are talking about an unlawful seizure of the very self that we
0: own firearms to defend. Now, however, there is plenty to like about this case, uh, And especially the fact that even the three liberal justices were ready to sign on to a ruling that protected our Second Amendment rights, even if that protection was really only by proxy. That
1: was still a very pleasant surprise. Now we move on to the bad. There is an upcoming case uh, that the Second Amendment community has been very excited
0: about and which. Even to a pessimist like myself, see as a potential chance to possibly take a step in the right direction towards extending the right to keep and bear arms beyond the right protected in Heller, which only uh, talked about the right to keep a gun in the home for the right of self-defense. Now, this case would extend to the right to carry a gun on your person. This case is known as New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlette. And I will have uh, a link to uh, the docket for the Supreme Court for this case, where you can find all the information on it. You can find uh, the lower court rulings on this case. You can also find uh, the request for cert, the grant for cert, uh, the respondents filing, as well as the various briefs filed by the many Amiki to the court uh, in support of this. Uh, so all of that information will be available. Check the description. I'll have a link down there. But much like the Heller decision gave us, much to worry about as it did to celebrate, it is already clear that the court's petition to grant cert in this case uh, may not be the big win for 2A that everyone believes it will be. To understand why, we need to understand the court's uh, granting review on the what is known as a limited question presented. The case that the court agreed to hear deals with whether the state's denial of a petitioner's application for a concealed carry license for self-defense violated the Second Amendment. Now, to understand the problem, we need to contrast this with the original question presented by the petitioner's attorney, Paul Clement, where he asked whether the Second Amendment allows the government to prohibit ordinary law-abiding citizens from carrying a handgun outside the home for self-defense. Now, there are five major differences between Clement's question presented and that to which the court granted review. We are going to go over those now. First, the court's question presented focuses on the state's decision to deny a concealed carry license to the petitioner. Clement's question presented challenged the law on its face and as applied. So, is the court's decision now limited to an as-applied challenge? rather than a facial challenge. Might the court leave open the possibility that others uh, may issue regimes are unconstitutional? Are there some unique aspects of the New York law that would distinguish it from other may issue regimes? And is there a possibility that the court would need to remand for further
1: explication of that regime? These are things we just simply don't know. Now, second, the court's question presented refers to the uh, refers to a petitioner
0: that could file an application. That category of individuals would seem to be limited to a natural person. This matters because one of the petitioners is the New York State Rifle and Pistol Club. They are a party to the petition, and they could not, as a corporation, necessarily file an
1: application. Or Will the court limit relief to only the named parties? This too, we just don't know. Third, the court's question presented refers to
0: an application for a concealed carry license for self-defense, while Clement's question presented refers to an ordinary law-abiding citizen carrying a handgun outside the home for self-defense. The court's question is far narrower. It only concerns concealed carry licenses while Clement's petition refers to
1: carrying a gun more broadly outside the home. By stripping the reference to outside the
0: home, the court avoids resolving a 13-year-old mystery that comes from the case uh, of DC v.
1: Heller. And that is, what exactly are sensitive places? This refers to one
0: of those deviations from original public meaning found in the Heller opinion that left a number of constitutional scholars and Second Amendment advocates rightfully worried about this deviation and its potential consequences, and this has been a big issue since that case. Now also, the court's question would close the door to a claim for open carry, but why would the court even consider this issue?
1: New York does not permit open carry. I am nervous that this question presented is really setting up a punt where they would remand
0: to consider whether permitting open carry would be consistent with the Second Amendment. Now, this issue has far more serious ramifications if it is, in fact, what the court is setting up for. We know Biden is just itching for a reason to pack the Supreme Court. He has assigned a task force to study the matter, and I think any reasonably intelligible citizen across the political spectrum would currently say that this is a real possibility in the near future. Biden has been looking at all kinds of ways to expand gun control, even if it means circumventing uh, through unconstitutional pathways such as passing gun control legislation to especially unconstitutional pathway of rewriting unconstitutional laws through the even more unconstitutional practice of legislating by executive order. And he has been very open that two issues
1: from the court would warrant a special reason for him to move on court packing, that is gun control and abortion.
0: In fact, in Coniglia v. Strom, during oral arguments on March 24th, Biden had a Department of Justice lawyer, Morgan Ratner testified in support of the city of Cranston's position, arguing police had to be free to act in particular emergencies. Part of his testimony was, Although there has been a lot of questions this morning about whether this is an emergency aid or exigent circumstances or a community caretaking or something else, the label you give it is not nearly as important as the principle. And the key principle is, if someone is at risk of serious harm, and it's reasonable for officials to intervene
1: now. That should be enough. A truly frightening statement. We now uh, have this upcoming Second Amendment case, and uh, we know
0: that Biden is very much opposed to it. As well, we also have an upcoming abortion case that has a potential to seriously limit Roe. Now, if the court punts once again on this case, this will give Biden the time to move on court packing before the court makes a ruling on this case. And this would preclude any possibility that they eventually come to a conclusion that a right to bear arms means a right to actually bear arms. I would not be shocked if he didn't take up that de facto invitation to pack the court. And in a paper from the commission that he assembled to consider court packing, which is now available to read in a re- recent law review article known as the end game of court packing. It's actually much, much worse than people thought. Um, people initially were guessing that a packed court would include 17 justices altogether. What we find in the report is that what we are talking about, the end game, is a 39 justice supreme
1: court. I wish I was exaggerating. I'm not. Now, fourth, Clement's question presented refers to citizens, and there is no corresponding
0: language in the court's question presented. So, did Justice Sotomayor object to a right that would be limited to citizens? After all, the Second Amendment does not apply to citizens, it refers to a right of the people. Uh, and uh, Judge Wood adopted that reading of the Second Amendment for the Seventh Circuit. And of course, the due process clause, which the McDonald plurality used for incorporation, referred to persons and not citizens. And yet, Justice Thomas's concurrence relied on the privileges and immunities clause, which
1: is limited to citizens. This complicates the issue immensely. Now, fifth, Clement's question presented uh,
0: more re- refers more broadly, to ordinary law-abiding citizens. Here, there is no similar corresponding language in the court's question presented. Here, the court may not have wanted to get involved in the precise basis on the right to carry. What exactly does ordinary law-abiding mean? Does that category include nonviolent felons? The court ducked this issue last week. And there is a final bonus concern to be considered, and that is that the court did not accept uh, New York's phrasing of the question presented either, which is also significantly different and says, Whether the Second Amendment prohibits New York from requiring residents who wish to carry a concealed firearm in public to have an actual and articulable need to do so. Needless to say, this all leaves me very conflicted about the court's petition to grant cert on this case. I understand why the 2A community is excited at the possibilities. The fact is, I am too. But this uncharacteristic and seemingly illogical restatement of the question presented is the first sign that this
1: does not augur well for the future of our right to keep and bear arms. And to be honest, The perfect silence from the court since 2008 on the Second
0: Amendment has left me jaded. We have been burned before. There is a very good chance that this will be the only time a nine member court decides a Second Amendment case ever again. The only reason to believe Young v. Hawaii was not the death knell of the Second Amendment, as I had previously speculated it would be, was the timing of this court to hear case. If the court chooses to punt, there can be no doubt that will be the moment that Justice Scalia warned us about shortly before his death, when he warned that Heller may
1: well be swept into the dustbin of repudiated constitutional principles. And finally, we got to talk about the ugly. While it is crucial that we, uh, as citizens who believe in protecting and preserving our
0: Constitution, the Republic is founded and the limited government set forth in it as an effective concept and means in the protection of our rights to stay informed and active on these issues, one thing that I am sure everyone who cares about this issue, whatever walk of life you are from or whatever political persuasion you hold Whether you're a constitutional conservative, a libertarian, a civil libertarian, a classic liberal, a Second Amendment advocate, an anarchist, a lawyer, a constitutional scholar, or maybe anyone who isn't put into a particular box except that you value your natural rights of self-defense, or the right of revolution, or those who understand that a well-regulated militia means the ability of every single man and woman in our country who can lawfully own a gun, and is willing to take up arms in defense of themselves, their families, their communities, the state, or our country, whenever any of those things needs to be actively safeguarded alike, can appreciate the Jeffersonian principle of fighting for liberty as a game of
1: inches, and taking any one we can get, then that this is a strategy worth adopting. But I can't help thinking the reason that we are in this mess to
0: begin with is because our national consciousness has become infected with a problem that I have discussed in the past in uh, a video that I did uh, on Cooper versus Aaron uh, and in an article I wrote as well called How Supreme is the Supreme Court. Uh, The video is on YouTube. Uh, The article was published by the Libertarian Institute. I'll have links to both of those down in the description. Now, these are two related concepts known as judicial supremacy and judicial universality. These are 20th century inventions of the court, largely taken as the gospel truth by most Americans that essentially assert that a Supreme Court ruling on the Constitution is itself the supreme law of the land. And furthermore, that any Supreme Court decision on any
1: issue is always and immediately binding on not just the parties to the case, but to everyone everywhere. The ugly truth is that we find ourselves in this quagmire
0: precisely because those blasphemous doctrines have been seized upon and added to our nation's civic liturgy. The reason so many Second Amendment advocates continue to be surprised that the court is constantly failing to uphold our constitutionally protected natural rights is because they believe it is the Supreme Court who should be they should be turning to
1: to protect our constitutionally protected natural rights. But not only is that not what the court does, it's not what the court
0: was meant to do. Its job is to be an interpreter. And I stress that there is an important distinction between the interpreter and an interpreter. The court is meant to be an interpreter of the meaning of the Constitution. It is not their duty to be the guardian of our natural rights because some of them happen to be listed in the Constitution. We need to stop looking to the court to tell us what the Second Amendment means and look for ourselves to the Second Amendment to determine what the text of the Second Amendment means. It is our responsibility to give meaning to the
1: text and act according to that meaning. Furthermore, it is our responsibility to protect our natural rights. Of course, we are in the position we are currently in where it seems like
0: every day we are less free to think what we wish and say what we think. And more to the subject, of course, we constantly feel as though our ability to defend our lives our liberty and our property are being
1: stripped away. This is because we have been derelict in our duty to look out for
0: the First and Second Amendment for ourselves, to decide what they mean, and to live our lives according to that meaning. We rely on nine judges to rule from on high about how we are able to use our words and our arms to defend our natural rights
1: at our own peril. The court cannot be the guardians of our rights when, as
0: experience has shown and common sense dictates, they are the government
1: from which our rights are under threat. Anyway, that is going to do it for me here today. I do
0: want to thank you all so much for taking the time to join me here on Categorical Imperatives. If you have any uh, comments about the show you want to leave me uh, down in the comment section, I would certainly appreciate it. Uh, If you want to smash the like button, you can do that. If you dislike you can smash the dislike button. I don't really give a fuck. Um, And what I would ask is uh, if you... uh, like the show today, and you and you got some value out of it, or you learned something new, or you really liked the message I was spreading. If you could take a minute and just think of one person you know who you think would also find this episode uh, interesting or or educational, or could just stand to hear this message, and just take a moment and share the show with them. And if you would help me grow the channel that way, I would be very grateful for your help. So, uh, anyways, I guess until next time. Uh, I have been locking and liberal, and this has been categorical imperatives. We have been talking about the Supreme Court versus the Second Amendment, uh, and as always, Delenda S.
1: Carthago.